Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. But I am super glad to be here with you as we continue our follow series this morning. Uh, here's what we've learned so far. If you haven't been here, you can catch up. All of our sermons are on our website. We've learned that everybody is invited to follow Jesus. Being a sinner doesn't disqualify you. Being a doubter doesn't qualify, disqualify you. All of Jesus' original followers were doubters and unbelievers at some point. And we learned last week that the end game of faith is that God wants to create inside of us a faith that overwhelms fear. Over and over again, Jesus says, fear not, even when there was plenty of things to be afraid of. Jesus never said, don't be afraid, I won't let bad things happen to you. It doesn't exist, it's, it's not in the Bible, it's not part of the faith. But he does say, don't be afraid when bad things happen to you because I'll be Excuse me, don't be afraid when bad things happen to you. He never says they won't happen. He says when they do, don't be afraid. I got you covered. That's confidence in God. But what does it look like to follow Jesus? I mean, the question we're going to answer today is what does a follower of Jesus wear? That's kept you up at night, hasn't it? See, you can tell who or what people are following by well, what they wear. Who's this person following? The best football team in the NFL. The Steelers, right? You could tell this follower, right? Yeah, Steelers fan. Check out this beautiful family. Look at these guys. Who are they looking at? Yeah. Put that in there for some of you. You know who you are. But yeah, you can tell what they're following or who they're following by what they wear. And the same thing is true for well, religion. How about these guys? What do you think? Muslims. All right. How about this one? Next. Next slide. How about these guys? Buddhist. All right. All right. Let's see if you can get this one. Next slide. See, oh, check you guys out. Whoo. That is correct. See. But what about for the Christian? Oh, is it this guy? Is it this guy? How about, how about this one? Hmm, I know. You see, if you grew up in church or ever been to an established traditional type church, you know there are unwritten rules about dress code. I found out the hard way. You see, growing up in church, by the way, you could take this picture off. This, this bothers all of us. You can go to the original picture, yeah. Um, but as many of you know, as a teenager, the church didn't play a part of my life. I went to church when I was young. Then the church just really didn't play a part in my life. It was just irrelevant. Church just seemed like a place you kept rules. Everything they wanted me to do, I didn't want to do. Everything I did want to do, they said I can't. It was just, it was just hard. 
So church just seemed irrelevant to what I was going through. But when I was 18, me and my friends moved out and as you can imagine, 18-year-olds and 20-year-olds, we got our own place, right? And I was trying to figure out what does it look like to pay bills. I had to learn that food doesn't just magically appear. And when it does, your friends get really mad at you for it. It's not like at your mama's house. But not only that, I was in construction at the time. So what do you think, I was a construction, I was in electrical school, so what do you think, I'm an electrician by trade, I'm 18 years old, I just moved out, what do you think my wardrobe looked like? How often do you think I cleaned clothes? Correct. But funny enough, this was when I started becoming active in church. So active, I even went and decided to go to Wednesday night prayer service. I worked up in Northern Virginia, about an hour away, dealt with traffic, worked all day, came home, threw the only clean clothes I had on to get to church. It was a tank top and some jeans. I figure, I don't want to be late. I don't even know what happens. So I showed up at church and I sat all the way in the back row. And if you've ever been to a Wednesday night prayer service, you know I stuck out like a sore thumb. There's not many people there. And there I was sitting back there nervous because I was afraid they were going to ask me to pray, right? I went to the Wednesday night prayer service afraid they were going to ask me to pray out loud. That's what I was going through, okay? And an older gentleman started walking up to me. I was nervous. What's he going to say? And he came up and threw his arm around me and said, we're so glad you're here at church tonight. Come sit with me. I'll show you what to do. That's exactly what he didn't say. He said, son, you can't wear that to church. You can't be in here like that. I'm 18 years old at a Wednesday night prayer service, and that's what you're worried about? It's only by God's grace I went back to that church. But funny enough, that wasn't even close to the last time I encountered the fashion police at church. And you laugh because you've encountered them too. A couple of years ago, it's around here, I've told this story before, I was in a store and I was telling people about our church and they said, you're the pastor? I hate when people do that. You're the pastor of First Baptist Church? I was like, I don't, I don't know what that means. Like, what are we doing? They're like, you're? That, you shouldn't have laughed that hard. That actually wasn't a joke. Anyways, now I'm offended. I said, yeah. I said, yeah, you should come on out. And they paused for a minute and they said, I told you this. I said, can you wear jeans? They said, the church I go to or used to go to, you know, we could be comfortable. We could wear jeans to that church. And I said, what? So what do you mean? I wear jeans all the time. They said, no, no, no. To Sunday service. I said, yeah, I wear them all the time. Their eyes got big. They said, they let you wear them? <laughs> I got confused. I said, I didn't ask. I'm the pastor. What are they going to do? They were so shocked. And I was so sad. Because I wonder how many people have missed hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ or growing in their faith because of a dress code. 
How did the church come to a place where only people who can afford certain clothes can come? Or how did the church come to a place where we want people to be uncomfortable in order to come? Because church, I mean, folks, cheap suits are uncomfortable. They're horrible. But we put this expectation on people. How do we go from modeling a savior who wears sandals and requiring high heels and fancy shoes? Why do we, as a church, historically been worried about these things when we follow a savior who called the poor, the outcast, the sick into his community, a savior who was publicly stripped down, beaten, hung on a cross, almost naked for our sins. How did we go from that to having the fashion police ask us or tell us we're not welcome because of what we wear? Maybe you have experienced something like that at church. I did. Or maybe you're that person at church. Maybe you were just raised with a lot of rules, or maybe you're just a rule follower. Like, that's your personality. You need checklists. You need rules. It makes you feel comfortable. Now, what we learn from the scriptures, what we learn from the Bible, is that religious people love keeping rules. It makes them feel like they're in control. It makes them feel like they know exactly what to do in order to make God happy. But if you divert from their rules, well, it creates problems. And Jesus, well, he created problems all the time. He didn't follow all the rules and the traditions they set up. Look at this in Matthew 5, 2, they, 15, 2, they asked Jesus this. They say, why do your disciples disobey our age-old traditions? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Jesus, why are your people doing things differently? Why aren't they doing what we all do? Why are you making an exception to this? See, it's funny because you never want to actually follow up. and You never want to ask Jesus a question, folks. Because he knows your heart. He says... And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? Which means we, we can create religious systems and traditions that go against what God wants to do or what God has asked us to do. You see, the backstory here is they were commanded by God, and you probably know this, to honor their father and mother. But they set up a system that as their parents aged, kind of like a trust, they could put their money into this trust type thing and say, sorry, parents, I can't help you out. All my money's devoted to God. That sounds good, kind of, right? Like everything I have is devoted to God. But the thing was, they could use the money however they saw fit. So they set it up saying it's for God, but then they could really use it for others. But they're choosing to disobey what God has said, honor your father and mother. Through their traditions, through their systems. You see, they were more interested, and this is what religious people generally do. They're more interested in rule keeping than relationship building. 
But the problem is Jesus didn't give us a bunch of rules to follow, but rather clear instructions on how to build relationships. You see, for Jesus, people are the point. People, human beings are the point. Relationships are the point. Jesus died for people. Jesus set a behavior standard for his followers in the simplest terms. I mean, so simple, it's easy to miss, and we talk about it all the time. Here's what he tells them, John 13, He says, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. He's saying, disciples, my ministry's coming to an end. I'm leaving. He says, so now... Now where I am, excuse me, now I am giving you a new commandment. And again, like a commandment is a big deal, especially for Jewish people. They had to hold a lot of rules, but how many actual, like 10 commandments? You remember that? 10. Like, so Jesus said, hey, I'll give you another one, a bigger one. Like, this is what I need you to do as my followers. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. He says, so I'm leaving, but here's the big thing you need to do. Here's the big thing I need you to do. Love one another. Love others. But, but not just love. I mean, love them as I loved you, which, you know, meant a little bit in that moment, but it's going to mean a lot in a little bit. This sacrificial type love. He says, your love, you should memorize this if you're, well, you should memorize it. Your love for one another will, say this with me, prove, prove to the world that you are my disciples. What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's loving others as Jesus loved. And Peter does what so many of us would do and perhaps what you're doing. Jesus raises the bar. He sets the standard. He said, this is what I need you to know. I'm leaving. I need you to love. Love like I've loved. Peter's like, yeah, I got that. He says, so Jesus, where are you going? Where, where, where are you going again? Like, I got that whole love thing. No big deal. No problem. But where are you going? How's it all going to end? Let me get more information, more details. He gets stuck on the leaving part and misses the whole command part. And folks, can we get stuck on some details, some unimportant things, some things that we don't need to know and miss the important thing? Absolutely. Jesus gave us relationships. He didn't just give us rules but he gave us the tools for relationship building. But the gravitational pull of all religions is towards rules, towards rules. People want to look like they have it all together. They want to put on the nice clothes. They want to tell you everything's fine. We're inside, they're broken and they're dying, but they can't, they can't let you in. They can't let you know. They neglect going on what's in here so people can just see the part. This is why some of the meanest people you know know a whole lot of the Bible. They haven't dealt with what's in here. But Jesus has some strong words for that. Look at what he says. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. 
For you are like whitewashed tombs. Bet no one's ever called you that before. Like, right, whitewashed tombs. He said, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so here's what's going on. Back then, people weren't always buried in cemeteries like we have today. And it wasn't uncommon for you to find graves just scattered all over the place. Well, when the people would come in for their pilgrimage, where they come in for these Jewish festivals yearly, they might accidentally come in contact with one of these graves. And according to Jewish laws, if you came into contact with one of these graves, you would be deemed unclean. So you travel for days or for weeks, you'd make this pilgrimage, accidentally bumped into something, now you can't participate in anything going on. Like that would be difficult to deal with, wouldn't it? You traveled all that way. And so what they would do for people traveling, a month before Passover, they would whitewash, they would clean, they would bleach all the tombs so people could easily spot them. So they can warn them, hey, don't come in contact with this and they were clean. They looked so good. But on the inside, rotten flesh, decaying bone. And Jesus says, that's what you're like when you look and worry about this outside so much. And you don't let him deal with what's going on in here. Whitewashed tombs. Following traditions and rules is comfortable. But Jesus is interested in your character. That's what he's concerned with. He wants you to become like him, not through rules, but through love. And funny enough, the Apostle Paul had to learn this the hard way. The Apostle Paul didn't follow Jesus when he was alive. In fact, he's one of those Pharisees that Jesus is getting on about. He was part of the religious system. He was a scholar. He was a rule keeper, checklist type of guy. And Jesus' followers, well, they weren't keeping the rules. So when we're first introduced to Paul, he's taking, he's, he's holding the jackets so people can murder one of the first deacons. It says he's approving of them killing them. He's holding their jackets so they can stone them. I mean, Paul was after Christians. They weren't doing the right things. And after that first murder, great persecution broke out. It's like open season on Christians. And here how, here's what it tells us about Paul. This is what he did. It says, but Saul, that was his name. Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. His full-time job was arresting Christians. He was a religious zealot trying to destroy everything. But then you can read about it on your own in Acts 9 or Acts 26. You can hear his story. He met Jesus and his life changed. And being a man who is accustomed to rituals, accustomed to rules, accustomed to traditions, I mean, he, he tells the church exactly what to wear. He tells us exactly what we should look like. He tells us, he said, listen, here's what Jesus followers need to wear, and this should scare you, because this was 2,000 years ago. He says, this is what it looks like. Colossians 3.12, he says, since God chose you 
to be the holy people he loves. Let's stop there. Your relationship with God is because he loves you. No matter what's happened in the past, no matter where you're currently at, in Christ Jesus, God loves you. That's the basis of of our faith. That's the basis of everything we do. What he has done in us, what he has done for us, we then do what he's asked us to do. He says, but because of his great love, here's what we need to do. You must clothe yourselves with. Here's our clothes, folks. Here's what you need to wear. This is what you need to put on. This is a verb. This is an action statement. Paul says, listen, this isn't going to come natural. This isn't going to be easy. But here's what you intentionally need to put on. And we don't have time to look at it today. But before this list, he tells them what to take off. He tells them what to put to death. He says, put to death those things that come natural to you. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil, greed, Anger, rage, malice, slander, lying. He says, take all that off and put this on. Here's your new wardrobe. Close yourself with tenderhearted mercy. He said, put that on as a Jesus follower. Put that on every single day. This is being compassionate. This is a genuine heartfelt sympathy for the needs of other people. And when you see people, do you value them? Do you see them as people created in the image of God who need Jesus? Or do we judge them? Maybe it's how you were brought up. Maybe it's what's happened to you. But for a Jesus follower, we put on tender-hearted mercy. We're compassionate people. That's the inside. He says next, kindness. Put on kindness. And kindness is engaging with others for their benefit, not your own. Do you know how ridiculously hard that is? In every encounter when you engage and you talk, you're looking out for them and not for you, where you're worried about their needs and you're thinking about how to help them. It's acting charitably and generous towards others. It's doing good deeds for other people. Kindness. Are you kind throughout your day? You put that on every morning. He says humility. Put on humility, which is valuing others more important than you. Or looking them at at least as equal brothers and sisters in Christ. And and humility, we recognize that our sin, this is big, especially if you grew up in church, you recognize that your sin isn't any cleaner than anybody else's sin. You realize that you're broken and you needed rescuing. And so do they. And it's all because of who Jesus is. He says, put on gentleness. Gentleness. Which is gearing down to other people's levels. It's not weakness. It's, it's not weakness at all. It's, it's controlling it and allowing other people's needs to come before yours. And I have a very hard time with this because people tell me I'm intense, and I don't particularly care for that. But that's what they tell me, which is the opposite of what Jesus wants me to be. And so I have to deal with this. He says you have to be gentle with people. Think about picking up a newborn. Gentle, soft with people. And he tells us to put on 
patience. I haven't met a lot of Americans who like that one. We tend to be impatient people. And yes, I've seen you drive on 501, okay? We all can work on patience. But patience is where you go at another person's speed rather than your own. And some of you, you're go-getters. You're ready to rock and roll. You're ready to get things done. Do you help people along the way or do you use people along the way? Do you gear down to make sure you're taking them with you or do you run out ahead of all of them? Look at how relational all of this is. Look at what he says. Make sure, make allowances for each other's faults. So, so like when you get up in the morning, you're, you have to put on that people are going to fail. You have to acknowledge things aren't going to go your way and be okay with it. You're not going to expect perfection from everyone. You're not going to expect perfection from yourself. You're like, hey, things are going to happen. It's not going to go my way. It's not going to be perfect. But I'm putting on that patience because that's what I need to get me through this time. He says, so put on all of that and don't forget because people are going to bother you. They're going to offend you. He says, and forgive anyone who offends you. Here's the hard part with forgiveness. You ready? Anyone part. How many of y'all like the anyone part? Anyone? Anyone. Anything? Yep. Put on forgiveness. Be ready. Start your day off ready to go, hey, I know people aren't going to get it right, but I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to take care of this right now. I'm going to forgive them. Forgiveness is based on the root word for grace. So when people act differently than expected, you're already willing to look past it. You're already willing to overlook it and forgive. Instead of pointing out mistakes, instead of focusing on people's offenses, right, especially if you're a rule keeper, you got to be careful with this one. When people miss the mark, how do you respond? How does God respond when you miss the mark? Through grace. Every time, folks. Still accepts us, still invites us. Ready to forgive and ready to redeem the situation. But above all, and this is a big one, this is your trench coat that binds all this together. Remember, oh, excuse me, we forgive as the Lord forgive us. So you must forgive others. That's why we forgive. Next point. He says, above all, clothe yourself with what? Love which binds it all together. It's like your trench coat. You put on all this other stuff and then you put the trench coat wrapped up in love. You see, the virtues we are to put on, what Christians should wear, how people should identify you as the Christian is by these virtues. And it's all about relationship and community building. It's loving one another. And we do this, folks, and you know this because this is how God treats us. This is what he does for us. And so we do it for others. And from my church experience growing up, or religious people care about what you wear. But Jesus followers, what they care about, and what they're actively pursuing, well, it's compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, you can't even say gentleness fast. It makes you slow down when you say it, you know? Patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love. Folks, imagine if that's what the church was known for. Imagine if this is what people saw when they met Christians. 
Imagine if they could identify us because this is what we possess. This is what we are actively showing Christ's love in these ways. Imagine the difference the church could make. The culture would actually listen to us. They'd be like, man, look at y'all. Look at what you're doing. Look at how you're there for people. Because the world, and I know you know this, but I got to say it. The world does not need more judgmental, hypocritical people who are more interested in making a point than making a difference. Jesus came to make a difference, and the point was people. In ministry, what we're doing, what we need to do is people are the point. It's making a difference in the lives of people, one person at a time, one step at a time. But it has to start in here first. You can't help anyone go somewhere you haven't been. So you got to work on here. And Jesus wants to do that work in your life. You see, this is far more than just behavior modification. This is the gospel working out in your life every day. When God's grace grabs a hold of you and does a work in your life, when you understand what he's done for you and what he wants to do through you, the gospel will then overflow into the lives of other people. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And just because this is simple doesn't mean easy. But it's what we're following Jesus. It's where he's taken. It's where we're going. It's what he wants to do inside of us. And so where is he taking you to a place that your faith is so big you stop fearing and worrying about everything? How will people recognize you on your journey? Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness. Some of you are being impatient right now because I'm reading it slow, aren't you? (laughs) Patience. Forbearance. Forgiveness. And love. That is what you should look like. That's what you should wear. This is the church's dress code. Yes, and please wear clothes too. We'd appreciate that as well. We are, as a church, as Jesus followers, supposed to be grace-filled people, meaning we are meeting people where they are at and inviting them to come follow after us as we follow Jesus. And we're going to help them work on the same things we're working on. And when you look at this list, if you're like me, it it can be so tempting to think, there's no way I would get anything done if I had to act like this. I would never accomplish anything at all. But before you dismiss it, remember, the Apostle Paul accomplished more in his lifetime than you ever will. Folks, this is how we get things done. This is what it looks like to get things done for Jesus Christ. It starts with you, and then it bleeds out for other people. You see, God is far more interested in who you become than what you do. And you're to become like Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to do with you. That's what he wants to do on the inside. So this is the church's dress code. This is what we need to look out for. But not just when we come to Sunday morning service, but every single day we put this on to face the world and reflect Jesus' love to a broken, hurting world that need more of us 
to be intentional about this so they can experience the life transformation that he's doing in our lives. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know that we cannot become like Christ on our own. We know that you must first do a good work in our lives, and we know that you are the one who's going to produce, produce this type of character in us. But yet, Father, we have a part to play. We have choices that we have to make. So we know that you're going to do a good work in our lives, and we ask that you produce this fruit through us. And we ask for your help. We ask you to help us make a difference in the lives of people around us. Father, help us be like Christ. Show us where we need to actively play our part in this process. Lord, show us a small next step we can take. Show us that small next step and let us be faithful enough and bold enough to take that step. Father, help us develop deeper relationships with other people and help us follow Jesus better as we commit our lives to him every day. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Will you stand?
We should clap for that one. Listen, I really want us to be a clapping church, okay? I'm just going to say it. So you're more than welcome to clap all the time, especially during... Okay, yeah. I'm good with that. Especially during my sermons, just break on the clap. It'll make me feel great. Probably throw me off guard. Please don't do that. But yeah, it's okay to clap. It's okay to express joy. It's okay to express happiness. It's okay to worship God in that way. It's a great thing. Now, we have several people joining the church this morning. So if everybody would step forward, step forward, and then turn and face the church. Scott is going to introduce everyone for us. And someone with their families, he'll work through all that. Yes, I am. Sorry, I had to turn my mic on. Okay, so all those in favor of accepting um, all of these people into our membership, say by saying aye. 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 All opposed? Exactly. <laughs> Let's praise God. Let's pray. Will you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for such a celebratory special day. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. We thank you for what Jesus has done and allowed and, and what he's doing in our lives every single day. Father, we thank you for using us. We just ask a special blessing upon each person who got baptized, each person who's joining our church, that they might find a special home here at First Baptist Conway like the rest of us have. We ask that we can help them grow in their faith. We ask that we can help them find their place of service and, and just work through what it looks like to be a Jesus follower in their life. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to do this. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, hold on. Before everybody moves, okay, here's what's going on. You're more than welcome to come up and say hi and shake hands and hugs, but you have to do it quickly because we also have a town hall meeting today, and many people said, what's that? We used to have them all the time, and then that thing called COVID happened, right? Remember that? But what a town hall meeting is, it's an informal gathering where we're just going to talk about what's going at the church, make some announcements, and allow you to ask any question you want as long as it's not too personal, okay? You can do some personal, not too personal. I'll let you know publicly if it's too much. Don't worry, okay? But stay around, catch up, find out what's going on at the church. Oh, parents, pick up your kids and go. Go. 